You're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. Each week, I'll bring you conversations with the most visionary humans on this earth in hopes that you'll be able to absorb their wisdom, avoid their failures, and feel less alone on the roller coaster ride that is entrepreneurship. This season, I'll be chatting with creative thinkers, masterful marketers, brick and mortar shop owners, brand builders, and people just like you who have a story to share or a vision that inspires. If I can share one quick secret with you before we get into the episode, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us. You know, that spark that nudges us to pursue our full potential in this lifetime. But perhaps somewhere along the line, it got covered up. I'm here to tell you that it's never too late to explore that inner voice and access the brilliance deep down inside of you. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. Fotini is a negotiation expert. Yep, that's right. It's a real thing to study the art of getting what you want and what you deserve out of your life. For all of you grumbling, saying, I'm just not confident enough to negotiate for what I want, or I just feel like men are better than women at negotiation, or whatever limiting beliefs you have now, that stops here because Fotini is going to bust all of the myths and stories you've told yourself about using negotiation as a success tool. Most recently, Fotini decided to package up all of her expert wisdom on the topic of negotiation into a book called Say Less, Get More. I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy of the book, and I can say with confidence that there are many valuable takeaways for anyone who wants to get more out of their life. Aside from being a new author, Fotini also teaches MBA students, she's a regular on various television programs, and she's a popular speaker. In this conversation, Fotini and I chat about why negotiation is such an important skill to have and the reasons most of us avoid learning the art of it, the importance of power in successful negotiation and how to harness it, how to increase your likability in negotiations, which is a fun topic, why everybody needs to make a feel-good folder on their desktop, and we talk about so much more too. We all need to negotiate throughout our weeks, throughout our months, throughout our lives. Some of you will be negotiating for a pay raise at your full-time job soon, and some of you might be negotiating with your little ones, your kids. Maybe it's to do their piano practice. Either way, you're going to love this episode with Fotini, Iconomopoly. So let's dive in. Fotini, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm about halfway through your brand new book right now. And oh my goodness, I had no idea that the topic of negotiation actually interested me so much. And it's been fun to actually read through it and to actually reflect back on the times in my life when I could have used your frameworks to maybe inch closer towards what I really wanted, whether that was when I was negotiating for my first salary in my 20s, when I first got a corporate job, we'll call it, or even thinking back to like little moments as a kid when I really wanted a dog and I could have negotiated with my parents, but you know, I didn't even know of this word at the time. So, you know, first off, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being being here. Oh, thank you for having me. And honestly, that is music to my ears to hear that I've converted you in terms of interest in the subject of negotiation, because the goal is to make everybody realize that there's opportunities around us every day. 
Yeah. And it's one of those things too, like once you become aware of it, that negotiation exists in our daily living situation, you want to learn more about it because you see how it can actually get you further in life or actually advance your own vision or mission for your life. And it, it kind of reminds me, so I used to practice as a nutritionist and a lot of people walk around feeling low energy and they don't understand why they can't get the most out of their day or get to the gym. And then as soon as you make them aware of nutrition and nutrients and energy, they're like, Oh, I got to learn more about this. Same thing with negotiation. It's like, wait, you mean this is something that I've been ignoring for the last 30 or 40 years of my life that I could be pulling from to, you know, personally advance my life in a better direction, right? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned the nutrition piece because that's all little choices that add up. And the same is true when you think about your negotiation opportunities. It's little choices in terms of how you communicate with people. It's little choices in when you speak up and when you don't, or when you are silent, or when you take that time to listen instead of reacting to stuff. So those little tiny moments are what add up to huge results. Mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of goes with anything in life too. It's like, it's in the little food decisions you make. I was just chatting with a happiness expert yesterday and she said, happiness is literally those micro moments in your day of joy, joy, joy that contributes to the word happiness and same thing with negotiation. It's a little choices, as you say. So, you know, to set the stage, let's learn about you as a child. So you were nicknamed the negotiator as a kid. And in the dedication of your book, you actually say to my family who sealed my fate by giving me loads of negotiation practice. I kind of giggled. Tell us about what it was like growing up in your family and why negotiation was an essential tool in your toolkit. Well, I feel like I'm aging myself now, but if you've ever seen the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, that is my life to a T. (laughs) So um, when you grow up in a strict immigrant household and you have a big, uh, a strict, big fat Greek dad, you have to negotiate to get the heck out of the house, whether it was going to see your friends or going to the movies or going to university later. Um, there's all of, there was all of these opportunities where if I wanted to, to participate in these, what we would call normal activities, it really was a battle every single time I, I would have to deal with my father and sometimes my mom, but usually my dad. So it was, it was about being stealth about how to do it. And upon reflection, you know, I was using a lot of the same negotiation techniques that I teach people today. And that's one of the many reasons why I tell people you can learn a lot from children when it comes to negotiating. Um, but even, even so, I was a more assertive kid than I would say most other people were. And so uh, there were definitely been moments where I was the one, the youngest one who was pushed to the front and said, you ask them, it'll be easier coming from you. You're the cute one or you're the young one or you're the one that's acceptable to, you know, to talk back from or any of those things. And so that my dad really did nickname me the negotiator. There, there were moments where he said, we didn't ask to hear from you, negotiator. And to this day, I think just in the last year, he said it to me as well. So it is something that stuck, but it was something that I, I felt I needed to do for my own satisfaction growing up. But it was also something I learned to do because that was an example that was provided to me by my parents, especially my my father, because that was part and parcel of, of our upbringing. It's like, I, I watched him negotiate for everything. I, you know, had to um, go to work with him in essence when he was delivering coffee to restaurants because he was a distributor. So I watched him have those deals in the kitchen with people. Um, I watched him go to the car dealership and negotiate. I went with him to the bank and, and you know, we didn't, we weren't allowed to stay at home alone as one of our 
strict upbringing <laughs> issues. So it was just one of those things where you learn by osmosis too of, of, you know, these are the ways things are done. And so that for me was normal, whereas I understand others don't necessarily have some of those role models or don't necessarily translate those role models into their world. For me, I was like a sponge and going, oh, I can do this over here and I can do this with my teacher and I can do this with my sister and so on. So there was, there was lots of uh, examples and lots of opportunities to practice. I love that. And obviously you were kind of like a student of the whole process. You were studying your dad in action and really like soaking it in like a sponge. Did you ever have intentions to like flip this into a career as an adult? Or like, when did you start to realize that this could be something you devoted your life's work to? It, it really happened accidentally. I don't think any person goes, I'm going to be a negotiator when I grow up <laughs> because I didn't even know it was a thing, but I, I did my, um, I did my MBA in organization behavior. And from there I was recruited into uh, L'Oreal and other large organizations like that. And so I was put into positions where even when I was interviewing with L'Oreal, I would call them saying, Oh no, like we usually recruit MBAs to go into marketing, but I feel like there's an opportunity here and they put me in sales instead. And so it was somebody else always kind of picking up on some of the, the skill sets that I had and putting me in these scenarios where I was practicing them that led to where I am now. And even when I, when I was going through personal development programs at these institutions where I was working, I'd have the trainer pull me aside and go, you need to be doing something else. And I'd be like, going, what is it? What do you tell me? And then it was a company that was hired to train us to be better negotiators where they said, you should really be doing what we do. And I was like, yeah, sure. Someday when I've got more experience, because I was still in my 20s. Yeah. And he said, no, seriously, you should be doing what we do. And so they hired me and I joined this, this training company, training everybody from CEOs of billion dollar oil and gas corporations to junior account managers and a manufacturing facility, um, all of those folks in, in the middle. And I, it was, I, that's when I was like lighting up and going, oh, I get to do all this stuff that I was learning to do, negotiating with Walmart and uh, negotiating in retail and all of those things that I was doing growing up. And now I get to teach other people to do it and have better conversations. So I just felt, feel like in my world, I didn't intend to do it. it it was more like, okay, I'm good at this. I'm going to keep doing it. Someone's invited me to an opportunity and I'm going to say yes. And it was one opportunity after another. Um, and even that's how the opportunity to teach came up. So I teach part-time uh, when I have the time in my calendar at the Schulich School of Business and teaching MBA students has been such a joy. And that again came up because someone said, hey, are you interested in doing this? You seem to have a knack for it. And I was like, sure, sign me up. Um, and that's even how the book came up. So HarperCollins saw a video of me online somewhere and said, we think you have a book in you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I just feel like it's it's being open to opportunities and being open to the feedback and, and open to saying yes to things when, when they came up that has really driven so much of my career and where I am now. Mm-hmm. It's such an interesting lesson, too, that on the flip side, if you see somebody exuding a skill set that maybe they don't see in themselves, to actually compliment them on it or to, you know, be like those people and those mentors in your life who have reached out to you and kind of said, hey, you're sitting on a book here or, hey, you should join our negotiation team. Because like you were kind of mentioning, you didn't necessarily know that that was your next step. That wasn't in your master plan. But for those people to have kind of of like pulled you along and said like I think there's something here uh, I think that's a good reminder to all of us like if you see somebody who's shining brilliantly in one of their skill sets like tell them or if you have an opportunity that you could share with them because sounds like that's kind of what got you along the path 
Yeah. And, and, you know, that's one of the joys of doing what I do is I get to give people feedback as well. So when I'm running training um, courses for corporate clients or, you know, things of that nature, when I'm coaching somebody to be able to tell them, oh, that was something that you did really well is just as valuable as telling somebody, here's something you need to improve. So mm -hmm. that, that feedback loop is so important. And I'd say it goes a step further. Like I, I was fortunate to have people in my world who were recognizing some of my skills, but I've also been getting better at asking for that feedback. Mm -hmm. and help and in helping myself along and and coaching others to do the same thing to go ask for it if you don't know what you're doing right or wrong how are you going to improve mm -hmm. and I, I once had a manager who um as soon as I said I was interested in personal development and I always want to I have this hunger for you know improving he was like yeah. great here's all the things you need to improve and we spent nearly two hours about an hour and 45 minutes in my personal development plan meeting with him, him telling me what I need to improve. And I had to stop him and go, is there anything that I've done right? And I knew I had because I was a high potential employee. I was bringing in loads of business. I was hitting all of my bonus metrics and all of that stuff. And he was like, oh yeah, you're doing tons of stuff. Well, then you need to tell me because if you don't tell me those things, I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel very great about it. I don't know what to build on, but also you're my champion in, at the senior leadership table. So if all you're doing is thinking about these things that I'm doing wrong, then that's not going to help me at all. So what is it that I'm doing well? Um, and I don't know how I came to that aha moment or, or how long I had been doing it before I realized that this was something I needed to pull out of people. But there's the balance of, yes, accepting a compliment and, and you know, that feedback from people, but also making sure you get the appropriate feedback, not just the negative stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Such a good point. So I want to kind of break your book down a little bit chapter by chapter. So starting with the basics, which is chapter one, um, I'm curious, can you first tell the listener like the basics of why we should all learn the art of negotiation? What's the point? Yeah, the, the point is simply that you can reduce your stress, you can increase your wealth, you can make your own life better, you can take control of your own circumstances. When you recognize that there are opportunities abounding everywhere for you to make those tiny improvements. So I think there's a misconception that negotiation is all about money or that negotiation is always combative, or that negotiation always takes place only in the boardroom. And what I try to shed light on is the fact that it happens all around us. And it's not just about cash. It is about little tiny things that are going to make your life better. It is reducing stress that leaves you now mental space to achieve so much more in terms of whether it's wealth, whether it's early retirement, whether it's, you know, managing that temper tantrum from your kid so it ends a lot faster. All of those things are, are opportunities where you can use negotiation skills to make life a little bit easier. And it doesn't have to be intimidating or daunting or any of those kind of negative associations that come along with it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a couple examples, kind of like negotiating with your kids or retiring early. What are a few other examples that the listener probably doesn't realize that they could be negotiating in their life or where they're already doing it and could get better? Uh, but what would be some of those day-to-day -day negotiation scenarios that you want to remind them that this is negotiation? Yeah, it's, it's even some stuff like preventing burnout. Like right now in a world where we have been dealing with COVID and working from home and all of those other challenges for over a year, I think Adam Grant used the word languishing is kind of where we are. Yeah. We're running out of steam, but there's still these moments every single day where people are asking something of you and you're like, oh God, I, I can't do this one more thing. I, one more thing on my plate is just going to make me break. Well, you can use your negotiation skills to go, sure, if you can help me with this other thing, 
then I'd be happy to help you with your project. Or if you can remove something else from my plate, then I'd be happy to work with you on this. So at work, it's really about balancing your, your workload and those tasks that are coming your way. At home, it's stuff like your, your partner, your spouse, your brother, your sister, your parents, whomever it is that you have to spend time with. You know, do you want to spend your time arguing about something or do you want to spend your time actually coming to an agreement on, st on stuff? So the way that you communicate with these people can eliminate, you know, a 30-minute argument into a five-minute conversation. You can find ways to actually enjoy talking about these things and looking for solutions versus bracing yourself for a very difficult conversation or perhaps even avoiding each other and letting something fester for a really long time. There are so many of those opportunities at home, especially now when everyone's at their wits end, when everyone is emotionally very reactive because we're so depleted of all of our energy and our self-control. Well, if you can use some of these communication techniques in the book, it'll just make those everyday conversations so much easier about you know who's gonna take out the garbage or who's gonna manage getting the kids dressed and masked, all that kind of stuff to go outside or whose family are we gonna bubble with? How do we dissect that? How do we have a fruitful conversation, a solution-oriented conversation about some of the challenges that we're facing at home today? Who's gonna manage the schedule for the morning versus the afternoon shift and not get Zoom bombed on their neck? Next meeting, you know, those are all little tiny conversations and negotiations that we could be having that we tend to overlook, but they can reduce our stress so dramatically. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of a quote that I've heard, and it says, your life will greatly improve as a result of the amount of hard conversations you're willing to have. And it sounds like those hard conversations that they're speaking about in that quote could actually become maybe a little easier or a little more effortless with the art of negotiation would you say that's true yeah i really love that quote and i would i would definitely amend it and say they don't have to be quite so hard when you approach them in a certain way yeah and so so often the people i meet go i don't negotiate or i don't like negotiating but they don't necessarily understand what it what it, it is comprised of and how it can help so instead of avoiding those hard conversations it's going oh it's actually not that hard Actually, I might enjoy it. I might even look forward to this conversation because I've got loads of questions that I'm ready to ask or I've got now a new mindset of curiosity instead of dread. And that can be, that can be a game changer from the very beginning. Coming up, I continue my conversation. We'll be right back. Stay with us. A quick word from our premier sponsor of the Visionary Life podcast, and that is Healthy Planet. If you are a health nut like me, you're going to love that you can save money on the brands you already purchased by ordering online from Healthy Planet. They love our visionary community and want to support all of us in living our best lives. So you can shop at Healthy Planet entirely online and products will be dropped at your doorstep within just a few days. It's so easy, so convenient, and that gives you no excuse to say it's really hard to eat healthy because it's not. So treat your body, your mind, and your business with the fuel it deserves from Healthy Planet. You can shop by department, dietary need, or even just check out the sale rack. It's such an efficient way to ensure you're stocked up on all your favorite health goods all of the time. Use code VISIONARY10 at checkout to save on your Healthy Planet order. That's VISIONARY10 at checkout. This is the Visionary Life Podcast. Welcome back. Let's get into the conversation once again. And I wonder, because I've heard a lot of people say that too, like, I don't like negotiating. And I wonder if it's because they associate negotiation with that combative or aggressive type of conversation. And I think, 
you know, that's perhaps why people avoid the topic altogether. Um, I'm curious, why is it that so many of us avoid negotiation? Is it because we don't truly know what it is or because most of us have had negative experiences with it? And I think you mentioned in the book, it's particularly women who avoid negotiation, who are the majority of listeners of this podcast. So why are we avoiding it? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of both of those things. So <clears throat> first of all, it is, it's definitely that we are fed these subconscious messages, whether it's from public figures like Donald Trump or social uh, or pop culture kind of references of the Wall Street kind of bro who goes in there and is fast talking and slick haired and gets everything that he wants. And I tell people, actually, introverts, you can rejoice because those are not the people that get the best deals. And those are not reflected of 99% of the conversations that we have or the negotiations that we have in everyday life. So it is, it's a matter of misunderstanding what negotiation truly is. And it's also this matter of misunderstanding that you do it more often than you realize. And when you can tap into the fact and the awareness that you are doing it and build on some of those really great skills, then it might becomes much easier to reinforce again, some of those great habits. But I do think it starts with that misconception of what negotiation truly is and what a successful negotiation truly is. Um, I'd say maybe less than 1% of the negotiations that I deal with. And I, and I get hired by fortune 50 companies who have billions of dollars on the line or a hundred million in one deal or whatever is, is happening. Those are never the combative bang your fists on the table kind of opportunities that come up. It is very much using problem solving techniques and questioning techniques and conflict management techniques to make things more smooth instead of getting people riled up or feeling like they need to get into this combative boxing match scenario. So as soon as that perception changes, then all of a sudden it becomes much easier. I will say that I do think women are speaking up more than they used to. I think they are, and I, I'm sure there's statistics to back this up, but I, there is an actual, there is a legitimate hesitation because despite the fact that we are doing it more often, we are still being treated differently in negotiation. So there's a legitimate fear of repercussions or of responses that is holding women back specifically as well. And so part of you know the toolkit that I put together in this book is how to mitigate a lot of that risk. You know, both with the mindset, with communication techniques and all of the rest of it, I, my, my goal is for this to be a book for everybody as opposed to, you know, I learned, and, and I think you read in the book at the very beginning, I learned the hard way that what works for a tall white male won't necessarily work for me. And so the goal of this book is to make it easy for everybody to negotiate. Mm hmm. And I love that you've recognized that what works for this person will not work for me. And um, I do a lot of work with marketing strategy for small business. And what I've realized is that there is no one right marketing strategy for anyone, right? Like the whole yeah. be pushy, be very like, you know, in your face with messaging that may work for some businesses, but for other businesses, they need a softer approach to marketing, a more empathetic and like really showcasing their personality and their warmth and the way they love on their customers. I'm curious, with negotiation, is it similar that we kind of need to infuse our own personality or when negotiating, do we need to follow like certain scripts and certain templates in order to be successful at it? So it's, again, it's another one of those combination answers. There, there are guideposts for us in negotiation. Nothing is ever black and white. And so I do have a section in the book at the end called scripts that work. Yeah. But again, those are, 
those are scripts that work for everybody, not just for one specific group. When you look for the lowest common denominator of dominance, if you will, um, so the people who are in a group where they, I know they're going to be treated differently or perhaps with a condescending tone. I, if I look for a script that works for them, that's going to work for everybody. But the reverse is not true. What works for the privileged group doesn't necessarily work for everybody else. So I, I like it to think of it as my analogy in the book is it's the stairs versus the on-ramp. So the majority of our society, of our population can use the stairs. Most of them are able-bodied people who can do that. But everybody, regardless of whether you're in a wheelchair or you can or walking on two feet, can use the on-ramp. So the goal of the book in the guide posts that I give you is that this is the on-ramp for everybody. So yeah. there is this element of yes, there are some scripts that work, but they're not uh, they're not black and white. And and I'd say I'd layer on top of that what you alluded to, which is authenticity. And for me, I will never tell somebody to say something that is out of character for them because it's going to fail miserably. If you are trying to spew something out that is out of character at a subconscious level, they're going to be reading into it going, something's off. This doesn't feel right to me. <clears throat> and that's going to affect the, le the level of trust between you and how this whole thing plays out. So, I mean, I've had lots of folks say to me, can I just put a little bug in my ear and then you can tell me what to say when I go in there? And that would be a lot of fun, but it probably wouldn't work because if you don't have the mindset of being able to handle it on your own, with your own authentic presence and self, even what you what I tell you to say is going to come out a jumbled mess. And the other thing is, I'm not there with you in the room. I can't pick up on all of the signals that they're sending you. I'm not reading the look on their faces the way you are. So you have to also take that into account and then blend that with your authenticity and some of the guidelines that I provide in the book and that I, that I talk about. So it's this combination of bringing your best self for that moment. The same way we have a wardrobe full of clothes, 99% of which I have not used in the last year. Um, but you're going to choose the outfit for the moment. It's still part of your wardrobe. It's still a reflection of you. But I'm just encouraging people to choose that best wardrobe for that moment in time. So by giving you a few more outfits to try on, then you can choose the one that, that you think is going to work best for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that analogy of the stairs versus the on-ramp. So thank you for sharing that. Now, kind of moving ahead into chapter two, you actually talk about the importance of power in successful negotiations. And I think that's another word that freaks us out, especially as women entrepreneurs, women in the workplace. Um, what does it mean to have power in a negotiation? And what if we don't feel like very powerful when we show up to negotiate a new salary? Yeah, so power is an interesting one because it's not just actual power that matters, it's perceived power. Yeah. So you can have all of the power in the world, but if you show up looking like you are scared or weak or don't have the skills to, to provide to me the service that I need, if you show up looking meek and weak, I'm going to assume you have no power and I'm likely going to get more aggressive. That's what studies show us. And that's what just human behavior tells us. So the actual power you have doesn't matter on its own. You need to match it with the perceived power. And again, you could be somebody who puffs out their chest and pretends to be super, super confident. But if there's no substance behind that and no actual power behind that, well, then that's going to also fail you as well. So it's a combination of the two that matters. And where power comes from is often overlooked. So power comes from that perception. It's just showing up with your best self. It also comes with your resources. You often have more power than you realize. And this is a lesson that I feel like I'm constantly beating into my poor MBA students who will, will be negotiating for a new job offer. And they go, but they'll, they're, they could go to the 500 other people who applied to this. And my response back is, but they chose you. 
They chose you for a reason. And that in itself is quite powerful. What is it that you bring to the table? What resources, what skills, what know-how, what demeanor, what, what, is our, what are all of these things that you are bringing to the table that makes them go, I want to deal with this person. And if you can tap into that, then that is a very powerful thing because at a subconscious level, you're now going to start to show up like you deserve to be there. And when you show up like you deserve to be there, you will absolutely get better results. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's thinking about that stuff of why are they talking to me today? Why are they giving me the time of day? What is it that is, is compelling them to want to connect with someone like me? I'm clearly bringing something to the table that they want. And so you have to remind yourself of that. And then you may also have to remind them of that as well to change their perceptions. If they're treating you as if, you know, you're disposable or there's 10 other people who could do what you do, well, then you may have to remind them and go, here's what sets me apart from some of the others. Here's mm -hmm. what you may not know about some of the things that I have done. And that now can increase that power between you as well. So a lot of it really starts with knowing what you are innately good at and what you bring to the table and what those maybe unique skills that only you have um, is recognizing those in yourself. And that allows you to show up with confidence, which leads to perceived power. Is that kind of a, a good overview? A hundred percent. And I mean, I tell people there's little ways that you can in, help yourself in that manner. So I, I have a habit of um, in my in my Outlook <laughs> folders, I have a folder called my feel-good folder. And I've talked about this a lot. And the feel-good folder is anytime someone pays you a compliment, anytime somebody gives you accolades, anytime you get a thank you from somebody, I put it in my feel-good folder. And so if you are having moments of doubt or you're going, why would they be talking to me? You can now go into that folder and go, oh, here's all the reasons they're talking to me because I've done really nice things for them because I excelled on a project because they know that uh, nobody else is going to be able to go to the lengths that I will go to. So there's some really great reminders to pump yourself up and then have be able to articulate that in someone else's words, in their own words, is immensely more powerful. Because when it comes out of their mouth <laughs> and you're reminding them that it came out of their mouth and you're quoting them, well, now their ego has to match that. And they go, well, if I said she's great, then I need to believe she's great. So I better treat her like she's great. Yeah. There's all of these really wonderful things that happen when you can uh, take inventory of all of those things. Mm, so, so good. I love that. Um, so kind of moving on a little bit, one of the chapters you talk about this principle of people over spreadsheets and you explain the power of human relationships. And this is something I am so passionate about too, because I feel like, you know, we're not meant to do life alone. We're not meant to just live in the four walls of our office and try to like achieve success and get everything out that we want out of life. Like we need to make human connection with people and not just, you know, talk to screens all day and actually, you know, foster relationships. I just think a lot can come with that. So I'm curious, can you share some relationship building secrets that can actually help us to negotiate more successfully and how those are connected? Yeah. I mean, if this year has taught us anything is that we crave relationships and that we need people. Isolation is very dangerous for a lot of folks. And so that is a, a testament to the, the need for 
the human element of negotiation and that we don't negotiate with spreadsheets, we negotiate with people. Um, I would say that where I I lean on most, and I I bring this up specifically for women's groups all the time too, are in the principles of likability. So in the persuasion and influencing world, the science behind likability is is an interesting one. Too often, one of the biggest mistakes I see people making in negotiation is giving up value for the sake of being liked. Because as you said, we're not meant to wander this world alone. We were meant to, in our even our cave person ancestry, be part of a tribe. And so we want people to like us. That is built into our innate needs. Um, and yet I see people going, well, I'm just going to give them what they want because I don't want them to hate me. I want them to like me. But that is a dangerous thing to do. Instead, it's focusing on the likability before the negotiation starts. It's going to set you up for success. And that comes from three major things. One of them is finding something in common. So what do you have in common with this person? And it could be a mutual acquaintance. It could be where you both went to school. It could be that you both love the color red. It doesn't matter what it is, but those teeny tiny minor things that you have in common are like building mini bridges between you and bonding you. And so we like people that have something in common with us. We also like people who pay us genuine compliments. And I say genuine because we can smell a rat. If you showed up to the car dealership and you're in the middle of negotiating something and all of a sudden they go, you know, I like the look of your face. You go, what do you, wait, wait. I know some sleazy things coming next. So we like genuine compliments and we like them before the business begins. And then we also like people who are cooperative. Mm -hmm. So if you are demonstrating that you are in a conversation with me instead of banging your fist on the table, if you are asking me great questions, if you are taking the time to listen to what I have to say, all of those things and you are demonstrating it to me, if, if I can see those things intuitively, I'm going to like you more and I'm going to want to find reasons to deal with you. My entire business exists today because of the relationships that I built with people. So I quit my job almost seven years ago and I, I, I accidentally went to self-employment. Um, what I didn't realize is leading up to the day that I quit, I had been building relationships with all of these wonderful clients, who many of whom I now call friends. And it wasn't because I was intending to go into business with myself. I had zero plans. When you grow up in a self-employed family, you'd never want to touch self-employment ever again. So I was just going, how can I keep serving these people? I trained them on a workshop. We connected on LinkedIn. I started posting articles that I thought were valuable. So I was providing value to my network. When I met with them, it wasn't just me spewing at them and telling me, here's all the great things I'm going to do for you today. It was listening to their problems and and learning more about their family lives and the challenges that they were facing at work. And so because I had been doing all those things, the day I quit and I announced it on LinkedIn, I had so many messages from people going, what can I do to help? And when are you going to come work with us again? Yep. And I would say, I don't work for that company anymore. And they said, we didn't hire the company. We hired Fotini. Yep. And so I thought that when, when they said, hey, we really want you to keep working with our team or we want your help on this project, I thought, okay, I'll just do this one friend a favor until I have to get a real job. And seven years later, and a book and a speaking career, <laughs> it's a real job. So all of that existed, though, because I was spending time building relationships with these people, not for any other intention, but I just really like people and I really like them. So by building that, that made them want to deal with me over somebody else. And so that is the value of what thinking about people can do for you. Coming up, I continue my conversation. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Have you been feeling a bit lost? Confused on your next steps? Curious about what it would be like to start an online business and work for yourself? 
Well, the Visionary Method is a seven-step framework and accountability system that will help you to start making money and stop procrastinating the life you're here to live. We've helped hundreds of people just like you to make their first 50000 in their online business by packaging up the skill sets that they already have inside of them. So visit KelseyRidal.com and click on the Work With Me tab if you want to learn more. We would love to get on a call with you and see if the Visionary Method is the right fit for you. Again, KelseyRidal.com. Just click the Work With Me tab and learn more about the Visionary Method. This is the Visionary Life Podcast. Welcome back. Let's get into the conversation once again. It's so important. And it reminds me, I used to work in sales and marketing for a health food company. So we would go into major grocery stores or health food stores. And my nature was just to basically find the buyer for the department and be like, all right, so we have this new product and you need to list it on the shelf and here's the pricing sheet. But when I would go with my um, colleagues who had been much more established in sales, they would walk in and they would be like, hey, I saw on Facebook that you recently got a dog. I have a dog too. And they would bring them a coffee and they would always like compliment them and really find all these common factors. And I would always stand there like as the young sales rep and be like, just get to the point, like move it. (laughs) Like we got, you know, we got many accounts to service. And looking back on it, I realized why my success rates were so much lower because I wasn't fostering that likability factor with the most important person in the store, which was the buyer on behalf of the brand. And so, you know, looking back on those times, I'm like, oh yeah, the sales reps that had the most success, they were the most likable. They always found common ground in their conversations. They never started with the pitch or here's the new product. It was 10 to 20 minutes just in establishing a relationship and getting to know the person or catching up with the person. And um, to this day, I carry that through in my business when somebody wants to jump on a call to see if they want to hire me as their marketing strategist. I'm spending a lot of the call just kind of asking them questions, paying their business compliments because I genuinely enjoy doing that now. And I realize it's not about rushing into the sales part of the conversation. I will have way more success if I start with this likability factor and then we talk about their challenges and their pain points and go from there. Oh yeah. I love that you picked up on that because it's if you can get to know somebody first when it is time to do your pitch, right? When it is time to go through that that motion that we have to do, you've now learned so much about it, you can tailor it to them. Exactly. And now you're it's not about doing it in a manipulative way. It's about understanding, oh, this is how I can serve them better. Mm-hmm. And now you're actually providing a better product or service as a result of having listened to them, as a result of creating that likability between you. And and that means you're gonna have more, it's gonna stick more and you're more likely to be successful and probably long-term successful with that particular individual because we will find excuses to work with people we like the odd time that we have to work with someone we don't like we'll look for every excuse to find a replacement as soon as possible Um, so I, i think it's really interesting that you can you can find those parallels to your early career as well Mm-hmm. And kind of to wrap up that, you have, um, uh, I think it's a study in your book, and it basically said uh, there was this group of two MBA groups, and they were told, before you begin negotiating, exchange some personal information with each other, identify a similarity, and then the other group was told, get straight down to business, like don't do the relationship building stuff. And it said, in the group that got right down to business, 55% of members managed to reach an agreement, but in the group that 
built relationships first, they got to an agreement 90% of the time. So almost double by just spending time finding that common ground. So I think it's so important. And not only that, not only did they, did they get more deals, because some people will go, oh, sure, like now that you like them, you're probably giving them everything that they want. They got better deals. So those deals were 12% greater in value than the group who only hit deals 55% of the time. So you close more deals and you close better deals as a result of building that relationship and that likability factor. Mm-hmm. So in a, another part of your book, you actually talk about the art of negotiation and the fact that it's not just about the words spoken, but it's also about your tone of voice as well as your body language. So it's like there's this, you know, three-tiered approach to the art of a successful negotiation. So I'm curious, can you expand on why it's not just about our words and how we can actually use our tone of voice and our body language to be better negotiators? Yeah, I'd say the best proof of that is the fact that when we write emails or text messages, we have a million and one emojis and acronyms now to choose from because yeah. we know that there's a good chance we could be misinterpreted. So I might add an LOL on the end of it or a smiley face or yes. whatever, right? Because you don't want to be misinterpreted. Nope. All, all of that happens because I can't hear the sound of your voice and I can't see the genuine look on your face. And so if I'm left to just the words, when you strip other, the, all the other communication elements away, there it's, a, it's dangerous territory. And when the stakes are highest, then you don't want to be misinterpreted, right? And so often now we're trying to lean on emails more and more and text messages more and more, but that leaves so much more room for misinterpretation. So we could have an email and then be misinterpreted over that email and now have to send five more emails back and forth to clear up the misunderstanding from the first email. Or we could just pick up the phone or jump on a Zoom for five minutes and prevent all of that annoying back and forth stuff. So it's when I can see the genuine look of concern or smile on your face. Now I might engage with you a little bit more. I might like you a little bit more. When I can hear the soothing tone in your voice or the sternness or authority in your voice, I might change how I respond to you. And in fact, there was a really interesting study down in the U.S. where surgeons were given um, communication training. What they found was surgeons were being um, sued for malpractice. And that's far more common in the U.S. than, than, than it is anywhere else, I think, in the world. Okay. Um, and so what they realized is those who were being sued were not necessarily the ones making the most mistakes. When they gave them communication training, they saw the number of lawsuits go down significantly. When they started speaking to them like a person and not a chart, when they started changing their, the sound of their voice and their soothing tone or not, now all of a sudden people responded to them differently and weren't having this defensiveness or need to take it out on them in that moment. So the fact that you can change the outcome of lawsuits and save money in that sense significantly by changing the sound of your voice and not in an inauthentic way, because again, I, I recall having a colleague once who every single time we, we would go in to speak to a client, he would stand up at the, you know, the board or the PowerPoint deck or whatever it is. And all of a sudden he'd go into this voice where it was like, all right, now I'm in presentation mode. And people would look at each other kind of funny and go, who is this guy? What the hell yeah. just happened? Yeah. And it was really strange and inauthentic. So it's about continuing to be authentic in your true self, but then 
turning up the volume where you need to on your empathy, on your, your credibility, on your authority, on whatever the moment requires of you. And that can go a really long way because it, it will eliminate some of that misinterpretation. And today when we're doing so much virtually as well, and a lot of people have Zoom fatigue, we just have to be so much more mindful of those additional elements. If you are going to rely on email, it's making sure that before you press send, you press pause and go, is there anything here that should be mis that could be misinterpreted? Is there a way for me to build in some likability at the beginning or the end of this email? There's those moments that you can that you can use to your advantage instead of just reacting or moving too quickly and ignoring some of those crucial elements of communication. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Through this virtual world, it is a little bit more challenging to showcase like your energy. I think a lot is lost through the yeah. Zoom call. Whereas if I was out for coffee with you, I would be kind of like using my hands and you would be able to see my body language. So I even think like for anyone who does Zoom calls for a living, essentially, like you have to show up almost that much bigger. It's not just in the words yeah. you're saying, but like you've got to have those intonations in your voice and still think about your body language because you're still watching me right now. So like, can you use your hands and maybe, you know, uh, like use what you got basically. Yeah. Um, and knowing that a lot can be lost through, um, a digital screen, you almost have to show up like 20% bigger and brighter just to convey that point. So I think that's a really, um, a really good point. And I'm curious then, would you suggest in this world where it's not just about our words, but about our tone of voice and our body language? Is it advantageous if we're doing digital negotiating to do it with video on versus video off instead of like over email? Like, should we be pressing record on ourselves to have hard conversations so people can see our body language and really hear us rather than just doing like an exchange of emails? Does that make sense? Yeah. So generally speaking, I even pre-pandemic and pre-virtual I always encourage people to get off of email and do more and more face-to-face -face if they can, when okay. the situation is natural to do so. Yep. It's not unusual to see salary negotiations, for example, or any type of contract stuff to start over email because they're going to send you over some type of document. And the temptation is to continue doing it that way and going, well, here's some things I need to tweak. And that's where I tell my MBA students and my clients, pause and go, hey, I have a few questions. This would probably be much faster if we could have a quick call versus yeah. a ton of back and forth. Awesome. And, and that can certainly resolve a ton. We also want to be mindful of sometimes it's weird to do things face to face. And maybe if I've never seen you, it'd be weird for me to, to I don't know, to have a face to face meeting with you if we would never do it in real life. But now we also have this opportunity. It's a double edged sword. So it's about being mindful of Zoom fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, but it's and, and some people these days don't want to do it because they're like, I have kids screaming behind me. I've got, you know, people working from home. It's chaos around here. I don't want to have totally. to have my, my office clean all the time. So it's about being mindful and maybe empathetic about that as well. But where possible, I'd say definitely take it off of email mm -hmm. and use that opportunity if you can to do a, a let's call it a virtual face-to-face -face, or even just a telephone call. Because I feel like we've gone from extremes of email to 100% face-to-face and forgotten that the phone still exists. <laughs> There's something in between if one of those two things feels unnatural to you. Oh, yeah, I am loving a good phone call lately. Sometimes I'll message my clients or just people who I'm having connection calls with. And I'm like, can we just do this on phone instead so that I can be walking around or not be staring at my screen? And you forget that talking on the phone is actually a great alternative to being on Zoom or like you said, being on email. So it's a good reminder. 
and, and imagine how in what kind of a better mood you'll be in if you can walk and talk outside versus oh, being yeah. this camera. You want to have people in a good mood when they're dealing with you. You yep. don't want them necessarily distracted and doing 10 other things. So I will be mindful of when people are going to be driving. I prefer not to have intense conversations, but a yeah. chit chat fine. Um, but it's also being mindful of all of those things. What can I do to make this conversation easier for that other person and for me? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, besides the tips that we've covered already, uh, I'm curious, are there any other simple tips or tools for improving our negotiation skills that you want to share with the listeners? One of the most common ones and most overlooked ones, and and I'd say this will this will be great for a lot of those entrepreneurs out there, and especially the women, yep. is to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, expand on this. <laughs> it sounds really counterintuitive, but the book is full of counterintuitive uh, techniques. Yeah, and it is because we can often talk ourselves out of a deal, and so taking the time to just pause for a moment and absorb and digest what they've just said to you. Taking the time to own your presence in that space and go, I need a moment to think that through before you think and talk at the same time. Those are all gonna serve you so well and make you look far more confident. Too often the misconception is, well, if I, don't, if I, if I leave those blank moments, they're gonna think I'm stupid or I'm gonna look silly. No, in fact, if you own that moment and you go, I need a second, now they're going to go, oh, if she needs a second, I must have said something really interesting or whatever's about to come out of her mouth next is going to be really good. Or she's thinking about what I just said. So I feel really good that she's acknowledging me right now. In fact, they can do all of these wonderful things and help you build trust and build credibility. And imagine if you're uncomfortable with that silence, imagine how much more uncomfortable they are because <laughs> you're doing it intentionally now. You're taking your time to do it. You're being mindful about it. And if they're uncomfortable with it, the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to start talking to fill the silence and give you loads of information. And information is so powerful. Mm -hmm. So I'd say shut up more often, press your mental pause button and take the time to absorb what's going on, to think through before you speak and to acknowledge the other person and give them that space to tell you whatever it is that they need to share. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know you share lots of good tips on this exact topic in the book. So let's talk about the book. It is uh, so good. Like I said, I'm halfway through it and I've been really loving what I'm seeing. I love the end of chapter summaries where I can kind of digest it all really, really quickly. So let's hear about the book and who is it perfect for? Like who needs to be reading this book? I know everybody hates to hear this answer, but it is for everyone. <laughs> That's a marketer's um, worst nightmare to hear yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> but you're right. Answer. But I mean, it's that on-ramp, right? It is meant to be for everybody. So for that person who doesn't see themselves in those, you know, Wall Street and Trump type books, it's for that person who goes, yeah, I do some of that, but I also do other stuff. It's for yeah. that person who goes, I don't know. These things make me uncomfortable. It's for every single one of you um, to find opportunities to reduce your stress in life and get what you want. Anybody who wants to get what they want should be picking up this book. Exactly. And it is called Say Less, Get More. Love the title. So concise, uh, so you. memorable too. And, um, you know, like you said, it's a very practical book. Like you were sharing stories about 
how one time you had to go to the hospital and they weren't paying attention to you and how you advanced yourself in the triage. So it's, um, you know, for parents, it's for people like myself who are starting their own businesses and are going to be in a lot of conversations with um, others. It's for people who are negotiating their first or next salary. Uh, So I love the practicality of it. And one thing that you did so well in the book is the storytelling. You start every chapter with stories of negotiation in practice. And I was reading a lot of these stories going, oh yeah, there's negotiation in that. Like, again, going back to the hospital story, I didn't realize that that, you know, you getting yourself triaged ahead of others, there was negotiation in that. So tons of awesome wisdom that you share. Um, I'm assuming you put a lot of hard work into this book. How was the process of writing a book? I think, I think anybody, and I appreciate all those compliments. It's, it's, I'm so thrilled to hear that you enjoyed the storytelling because that's, I think what makes it most engaging. Um, and I would say any author will tell you it is an exhausting process. Um, I finished writing this book over a year ago and yeah, so it's a long process when you're working with a, with a major publisher and there's a lot of steps in between getting it to, to finally to shelves, but I was doing it while I was working full-time training people, doing keynotes, running consulting projects. I did a lot of writing on airplanes, which was actually one of my favorite places to write because you could tune out all of the little dings from your email coming through. Um, but it actually was, it was pretty joyous too, as, as exhausting and taxing as it could be at times, or you want to bang your head on the table because the words aren't coming out. It also forced me to go back into my archives. And so many of the stories come from with permission from my students and audience members who have been sending me emails and, and direct messages and reflection papers in their assignments where they're sharing these little success stories. So not all of the stories in there are mine. Some of them are, but some of them come from others who've been implementing the stuff I've been talking about for so many years. So that for me was like, it was unbelievably rewarding. Like as I was writing the epilogue, I was brought to tears because it was just so amazing to be summarizing all of these amazing things that people have been accomplishing. So as, as exhausting and, and, you know, awful as it was at times, I'd say overall the experience was pretty magical to be able to to reflect on what people have managed to do as a result of just changing tiny little things and getting a lot more out of life. Mm, what an awesome experience. And yeah, we'll have to get a whole other podcast in on this book writing process because I know a lot of our listeners, you know, that's on their vision board to one day write a book, but they just feel like that would be so daunting. Like thinking about how to write 350 pages worth of words is crazy, but congratulations. And I know you're in a launch phase right now, right? Yeah, it's, um, I feel like I've never spent this much time on social media in my life, but it's been, it's been amazing to, to hear the, re- the reception of it. People excited to get it and sharing pictures and sharing posts. And now I'm starting to get reviews coming in. So it's been, it's been so rewarding. Um, but it's, it's exhausting to launch a book. Imagine. I think it's exhausting as it is to write the book. I'm not sure which is yep. more draining. Well, it's just a season and it'll all be worth it. So tell our listeners, where can they find the book and where are the best ways to support you and your work? Thank you for asking. It is available in all major retailers all over the world. We've seen it going everywhere from Singapore to Mexico. Um, So if you, uh, Amazon, of course, uh, is one of the big ones, but in the U.S., Barnes & Noble and in Canada, Indigo and a lot of independent stores. If you go to the HarperCollins website, you'll find independent retailers listed there as well. Um, And you can find me on Instagram where I'm sharing little nuggets all the time at Fotini Icon or on LinkedIn where I often share articles and some similar nuggets there as well. 
Amazing. Fotini, thank you so much for being on the Visionary Life Podcast. This is a topic that in 170 episodes, we've never covered negotiation before. So thank you for sharing all of your wisdom with us. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis. So it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. So first thing, if you're ready to make your first or next $50,000 in business, explore how the Visionary Method business coaching experience can accelerate your growth. There'll be a link in the show notes. Also, if you're feeling lost, confused, or overwhelmed when it comes to starting an online business, reach out and book a free revision call with me. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.